Welcome, Pewter Report readers and listeners, to another edition of the Pewter Report podcast, energized by our friends over at Celsius. I am John Ledyard. Along with me is Scott Reynolds. It is a Bucks victory Monday. It is a Bucks 11 and 5 playoff bound Monday. We've had two of these now, two of these playoff bound Mondays, Scott. I think we could we could get used to a couple more before the end of the season. I, I think that's the case, John. When you look at uh, this Buccaneer team, the way they're performing, you know, I watched the the Washington football team play last night against the the Philadelphia Eagles, and I don't think the Eagles put too much of a fight up, up there in the second uh, half. Yeah. Uh, but but uh, you know, I I think that that um, that they drew a favorable matchup. I think it all boils down to the defensive lines for both teams. Which defensive line is most effective? Washington's or Tampa Bay's, and I, and I think mm-hmm. that that we've seen Tampa Bay's defensive line recede in the last couple of, of weeks, and we've seen Washington's defensive line be pretty good all year long. Right. There have been some peaks and valleys. Uh, I posed the question today to to Bruce Arians about the Bucks' pass rush or kind of lack thereof without Devin White. They've only had four sacks from players other than Devin White, John, over the last three games. It concerns me. Jason Pierre-Paul, since he's been named a pro bowler, has has almost been invisible. Shaq Barrett didn't play. And we know that Montez Sweat and Chase Young are going to bring it. So uh, we have to kind of dig into that. We'll do a little bit of that tonight, and, and we'll continue that on Wednesday in our, our preview podcast where we'll really kind of get into some of the X-Nos. But there's plenty of news to talk about from the Tampa Bay front, John. So – what do you say we, we dive right into it and let's go? Yeah, absolutely. It's all going to be brought to you by our friends over at Celsius Energy. John, I, I made a, a terrible mistake today. I oh, no. Yeah, What'd I got to go. All right. Well, I mean, you were there with me at the stadium yesterday, right? We're watching the Buccaneers smack the the Falcons around. And this Buccaneer team, John, you know, they've led in every single quarter for the last two games, right? So it was an exciting game. You saw me. What did I have for my my morning beverage before kickoff? You had a little orange, a little orange Celsius, right? Orange Celsius, right? Let's go. First time we've had the same one, I think. I know. So, John, how many stories did we file yesterday on PeterReport.com? <laughs> 15 or 16, 15 or 16 stories, right? Yeah. Okay. I published that last story uh, about uh, around 11.30, midnight uh, mm-hmm. last night. And, um, you know, my brain was fried. I was tired. But then, you know, you're kind of wired, right? Because we, we've been dialed into football, Bucks football yeah. all day, watching the opponents, scouting the, the – I almost said the Redskins. Sorry, old habits die hard. I grew up in Alexandria, Virginia. Redskins are my first favorite team, so if I mention the word Redskins, don't kill me, okay? But the Washington football team, right? So we're up watching that. I didn't get to bed until 12.30. Had to wake up at 6 this morning, get some stories going, proofing, had WDAE, and uh, had a cup of coffee, right? Guess what I didn't have today, John? Didn't have a Celsius. Guess what I could have used today, John? (laughs) Celsius. I, I have a Celsius every Monday afternoon, and I missed it today, and I'm paying for it right now because I'm dragging down one on the show, or is it too late? It's too late. It's seven thirty. It's too late for me right now because I'll be up I'm all late. night if I have it. So I'm gonna I'm gonna live vicariously through you, John, and uh, and I'm gonna I'm definitely gonna have a Celsius tomorrow to make up for it. So you might be asking, John and I, we we've got the orange Celsius, and if you know if you're curious about Celsius, if you're dialing into the show for the first time, what is Celsius? Well, Celsius powers active lives every day with essential functional energy. And the best thing about it is no sugar, no preservatives. So this is this is an energy drink that's healthy and it's good for you. So um, we like the orange. There's a, there's a ton of different fruit flavors. John was vibing with the peach vibe the other night. If you're not sure which Celsius flavor you're going to like, we'll get the variety pack. And you can do that by, by logging on to pewterreport.com, clicking those Celsius banners. They'll take you to Amazon. You can buy them in bulk and save a lot of money. So whether it's the variety pack on Amazon or whether it is um, your favorite flavors, if you order them by the case, you save a lot of money. Or you can find them at a bunch of, of local convenience stores, uh, grocery stores, Publix carries them. 
So we want you to try Celsius, and once you do, let us know what your your, your fl- favorite flavor is, whether it's here on the Peter Report podcast or whether it's on Twitter. So, uh, John, you're powered up. I'm going to try to keep up with you tonight. Uh, we, we've got some primetime podcasts this week tonight, also mm-hmm. 7.30 on Wednesday, as we conclude our Bucks Redskins preview with our actual previews and predictions. And uh, But l- first, let's get to um, some personnel stuff. John, yeah. uh, a lot of news came out today from Bruce Arians. Uh, let's let's run down that press conference and our reaction to the news. Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, I think Bruce Arians' comments about Mike Evans were obviously the most encouraging thing. I mean, we kind of felt like it was trending the way that Arians kind of broke down today. So it was a, a, a very much a good thing. Um, you know, yeah. he, he kind of laid out that, you know, there was no structural damage. They're hoping the MRI, you know, showed, showed nothing but good things. There was little swelling today. He's hoping to be able to practice Thursday, you know, so all good signs right now, um, you know, that we're moving in that direction. The question then becomes, Scott, what everybody is kind of debating in the Bucks world, if you've been on Twitter at all or yeah. seen any of the debates going on right now, it's it's should Evans play. You know, it's unlikely Evans will feel 100%, you know, right. by the time that Saturday rolls around. Um, should Evans play? Should they try to rest him and win this game without him and hope that he's in a better condition to take the field in the divisional round? Or do you think like this is the game that you got you got to take seriously? Can't take anybody for granted in the playoffs. And and if he's if he's able to go, get him out there because he's still really good, even if he's not at 100. percent What are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, I I, I think the Bucks have enough firepower to beat the Washington football team without Mike Evans. Now, having said that, um, you know, I, I, I was I was there the last time the Bucks went 11 and five. They actually played the Washington Redskins in 2005. The actual date was January 6, 2006, but it was during the 2005 season. Uh, the the Washington uh, Redskins at the time, they came in, they were 10 and six. The Bucks were 11 and five. They had the the uh, home field advantage. And, and right here at Ray J., uh, we saw Washington take a 14 nothing lead, and it turned into a 17-10 to game. But the crazy thing is, when you look at the, the box score for that game, Tampa Bay's defense, which was the number one ranked unit in 2005, they held Washington to 120 yards. Mm. 120 yards. And, and, and that was... Uh, there was kind of a, a feeble offense that year. Mark Brunel was the quarterback. Clinton Portis was the running back. The Bucks had had Chris Sims, Cadillac Williams, Mike Allstad, Joey Galloway, uh, Ike Hilliard, Michael Pittman. That was kind of the, the lineup there. Anthony Becht, Washington had Chris Cooley, Liddell Betts, Santana Moss, James Thrash. So that was kind of the, the offensive cast of characters. But Tampa Bay's defense just smothered uh, Washington. The problem is – right is Sean Taylor had a 51-yard fumble return for a touchdown. And uh, and then you had Chris Sims, who on the day, I believe, he threw two interceptions, was sacked three times. So yeah. it, was a, it was a defensive struggle. And, and I think that that as much as, as I, I want to believe that the Bucks are going to put up a bunch of points, Washington's defense isn't a joke. And so you can't oh, yeah. underestimate every team. Just just because you look at at the Redskins, or I should say Washington, on paper and say, well, they're not an explosive offense. Look at Tampa Bay as it is. Doesn't mean the Tampa Bay's offense is going to be explosive in the cold, you know, on Saturday night against a very stout Washington defense, uh, a Ron Rivera defense that, that knows Bruce Arian's style very well, having played him not just as the Carolina head coach, John, but also beating – uh, the Bruce Arians led Arizona Cardinals a couple times in the postseason. So right. these two head coaches know each other very well. And um, um, I would take Washington extremely seriously, even though their offense doesn't really scare me. Yeah, I'm I'm playing my guy as 100%. I mean, if he's ready to go and if he's able to go, I'm playing him. You know, if he's, yeah. if he's not, I'm not. You know, I'm not playing him if he's like he was in the Bears game. Like, there's no yeah. reason to do that. Um, and in my opinion, you dress him, and and you see how he can go, right? If yeah. if if he if he can play, and he's not a hundred percent, let's say he's well, like Bruce Aaron said today, an eighty percent Mike Evans is better than a hundred percent other guys, and that's right. true. I don't yeah. even think Evans will be eighty percent, but a sixty percent Mike Evans should be enough. And and you know what, John, go back to that Saints game. Go back to Week One. We saw Mike Evans on a gimpy hamstring 
what did he finish with? Like, like three catches for five yards or something, but he scored two or, touchdowns. It was less than that, I think. No, yeah. in the first Saints game, I think he only had one catch for two yards. I don't, but he had the the pass interference penalties. He had a couple right. of them, you know. I think, and he scored once from two yards out or whatever. But he had the long, he had two long pass interference penalties that he drew, at least two in that game. Exactly. And so, yeah, he's a factor. Yeah, you're right. But the Chicago game was too far to me. And I think Arians has kind of hinted at this. The Chicago game, he should have not played him, and he should have listened to, you know, he should have not listened let Evans persuade him to play him, basically. And Evans yeah. is literally might be the toughest receiver in the league, you know, he or Godwin probably. I mean, we're I know we're saying because we cover the Bucks, people are going to think, yeah. but no, I'm just telling you, like, there's not like guys that would have played in that Chicago game. I watched that tape. You don't see many players like look like that in an NFL game uh, when you see the all 22 of it. So, you know, to me, it's about you. You need to put your best players in the field. Like you yeah. said, Washington's defense, this is an unbelievable defense, man. Like, I mean, and the crazy thing is they don't even have great players or anything. They don't have like great, st- they don't have great linebackers. They don't have anybody in the, in the secondary that you're like, man, that's a guy you just fear. You know, they have guys having good seasons for sure. They don't yeah. have any star power. They don't have any game changers, anybody like that. Anybody, you know, lighten it up with ball production or anything like that. Um, you know, this is just a group that has played extremely fundamentally sound in a very short amount of time under uh, Ron Rivera and Jack Del Rio. And so they deserve a ton of credit and they deserve to be taken extremely seriously. They've given up and we'll get into them a ton on Wednesday uh, on the show when we break down everything in detail. But, you know, I know Washington has given up the least. They're tied with the Rams and we know how much trouble the Rams gave the, the Bucks. They're tied with the Rams for the least amount of 20 plus yard pass plays allowed this season. They just have not allowed hardly any splash plays down the field. Obviously, the Bucks drive off of that. I think there's a lot of, of, of short to intermediate stuff that is there for the taking against Washington, especially if you're trying to isolate their linebackers. Bucks have done a much better job of that since the bye, so I expect that to be something that's in in kind of their repertoire and their plan for this game. So there are good things for the Bucks. certainly the way they're trending and, and what they'll have to be able to face to go against Washington, but there are challenges for sure, and you want to have you know your best receiver out there to face those challenges. I don't think there's any I doubt agree. about that. And by yeah, the way, this is a Q&A. So if you fans, any questions that you have out there for us, yeah. let them fly. We will get to them. We, we, we'll talk. We'll, we'll discuss some narratives too. But we will come back as much as we can to get through your questions and try and unpack and answer those. Even if you have comments or criticisms, anything like that, we'll kind of run through those as well. A couple people with some super chats. We really appreciate Mark Saunders. Can't yeah. believe we're back in the playoffs. I was in fourth grade last time we made it. And now in my last year of law school. <laughs> Makes me feel old. It really does. I tell That's you. Great. Um, but yeah, it's it's been a while, right? I mean, 2007 was the last time the Bucks were in the playoffs. And and uh, you know, it, it's 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 awesome to see this town come alive. And really the lightning kicked this off, right? By winning the Stanley Cup and then the Rays, um, you know, making the, the World Series and, and the Buccaneers. Certainly doing their part to keep the postseason uh, drama going in, in Tampa, and that's fun to see for sure. So yes, it's certainly been a, a wild ride this year with with the COVID, and you know we uh, we made it through seventeen week football season, John. You know without yeah. without a stoppage, without any any type of uh, a couple of reschedulings, right? But no game cancellations. Pretty crazy. Yeah, pretty crazy. Yeah. I never so, thought that was going to happen, to be honest with you, Scott. So it's pretty yeah. wild. we got great questions coming, uh, talking about uh, who's going to be available for this game on the defensive side. Sounded like for Marion's comments today that Carlton Davis and Shaq Barrett will be good to go. Remember, Carl, Shaq Barrett was just uh, like a contact tracing situation. And yeah. so, so it sounds like those two will be good to go, which is really good because they're best passers and their best corner. Now, I don't care who you're playing, you want, you want those guys. You know, as much as Washington's offense has struggled, yeah. Barry McLaurin is still a beast, and you want your best – uh, corner to be able to face him. And so um, uh, having Carlton Davis back was going to be huge. Devin White not going to be available. If the game had been on Sunday, it may have been possible. Scott, we don't know all yeah. that, you know, he would have had to continue to test negative and, you know, some things would have had to still go their way, but it would have been possible, maybe even probable for him to have played. Uh, unfortunately, that's not going to be the case. And so you've got to go with Kevin Minter. But I want to stick on this one for a second, and then I will get to this good question by Gene Leon to see if, if about Donovan Smith being maybe the key to the game. I want to stick on this for a second, Scott, because Kevin Minter is going to replace Devin White in this game. Kevin Minter played 100% of the snaps in the last game, and so did Levante David. Yeah, Kevin Minter is is a fine backup, Mm -hmm. but you cannot expect Kevin Minter to step into the same snap count as your fifth overall pick franchise linebacker. Sometimes football isn't that hard. You want your best players on the field for as much of the game as possible. 
Is Kevin Minter one of your best players? No, and he's not good in coverage. That's yep. okay. Just get him off the field and right. have a plan B. That's my. This is my frustrating thing sometimes with the Bucks. If X go, if X player goes down, they just plug in this player and that, and they expect everything to keep rolling how it was. And that's it's the same thing with the interior defensive line. They lost feet of They've never gotten back to where they were as an interior pass rush, and then maybe they weren't going to because of Vea. But what right. can we do with our packages? How can we get JPP yeah. inside? Getting there, even to get him any more reps inside, and he has had very few all season, has been such a slow process. I laid yeah. it out last week in a defensive package that I proposed. There are ways to get this done, to get right. this guy more looks on the inside, and you're not being creative enough to find a solution. I think it's the same situation with Minter, Scott. I think they have to find a way to get Minter off the field more. He cannot play 100% of snaps. Maybe they can get away with the against Washington. I don't know. But it's a bad process to ask Kevin Minter to step into what Devin White was doing right. and what they believe Devin White will be and play 100% of snaps when you have Jordan Whitehead who could play that role and a safety and Mike Edwards that could step in. With the quarterback like Matt Ryan, see, I, I think your package would have worked better yesterday on Sunday sure. than this Sunday coming up because I think that that the the way Washington plays their offense, they keep it a little bit more closer to the vest. They, they oh, yeah. will do some some more – you know, I, I was watching last night, that, and, and they, they do go empty. Like, they'll go five wide. Mm-hmm. And, and having a, a running back that can catch the ball like Antonio Gibson helps because he was a wide receiver at Memphis. And J.D. JD McKissick, too. Yeah, yeah. J.D. McKissick, too. Yeah, so you've got two versatile guys that, that can that can really flex out in the slot and, or go wide and, and function as wide receivers. But I think what Washington wants to do is really have balance. That That's kind of how – Ron Rivera won in Carolina. That's what he's going to try to build here. And when Gibson was out with some injuries, you saw Peyton Barber, former Buccaneer. If you're wondering where he went, he is the third string running back in uh, in D.C. So I, I do think they're looking for some balance on offense. You know, Washington, they didn't overwhelm anybody. The ground game, Gibson had 795 yards and uh, 11 touchdowns, which was a good number um, running the ball. As a rookie, and and this is a player too that 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 we loved, John. We loved Gibson at Memphis. Uh, I've been watching Memphis football for years. Uh, Darrell Henderson to uh, Tony Pollard to Antonio Gibson, and and this is a guy that that I knew the Buccaneers liked. We had him as a Bucks best bet at the running back position, and and I tell you, um, we found out today when I asked Bruce Arians about three players on offense to to keep an eye on. Uh, Terry McLaurin, the, the wide receiver out of Ohio State that you were talking about, yeah, went over 1,100 yards this year, four touchdowns, 13 uh, point, uh, 13 yards per per catch. Uh, I also asked about Logan Thomas, a tight end who is actually a quarterback at Virginia Tech that was drafted by Bruce Arians out there in Arizona. He knows Thomas quite well. He's had a monster year, 670 yards and six touchdowns. But really, it was Gibson who kind of raised some eyebrows when I asked Bruce about him. He says, yeah, it was down in the second round to Antoine Winfield Jr. or Antonio Gibson. So they were planning possibly on taking Gibson in the second round. So I thought that was pretty interesting news. Oh, yeah, it was very interesting because – Obviously, no one's going to complain about the box draft. I don't think you could look at it and say it could have gone much better at this point. But, you know, it was crazy to me that they had Antonio Gibson that high because remember, there were still some really good backs on the board at that point. If I'm remembering correctly, I believe K-Maker, I think J.K. Dobbins was still on the board too. I'm pretty sure he was, he was a later pick. So I think he was still out there. K-Makers, obviously, A.J. Dillon, that one's not surprising me. I don't think they'd have been interested in him. But there were some backs anyway that, that most people had well above Antonio Gibson that. The Bucks sounds like they had those guys further down their board uh, compared yeah. to Gibson. And so it just goes to show that Gibson had this minimal, minimal production profile in Memphis that was crazy for a guy as yeah. talented as him. And he played wide receiver half the time. Right. And really everything he did at running back was not really very translatable to any scheme in the NFL. Right. And Washington runs a lot of outside zone, which, again, teams have had trouble running against the Bucks no matter what they've done this season. But at least when Devin White and and, and, and – um, and Levante David were both in the game. Outside zone really has not worked very well against the Bucs. They right. have they have really shut down outside. I mean, the Falcons twice, just other than the long run the other day. I don't even remember if that was an outside zone run. The Packers were an outside zone team. Um, yes. There were some other ones this year. Well. But, right, they played great against the run in those games. And so um, I think that 
bodes well for them because again, if Washington wants to get into manageable down and distance situations, right. and we'll break all this down more on Wednesday. Right. I don't want to cut into Wednesday's show too much, but sure. so it's about right. keeping them out of those situations. I think. Yeah, we'll and, and I, I think my point circling back around to Minter is I think Minter is better suited to see a lot more action this game. Because the the Falcons were going to throw the ball, sling it around the yard, and not really try to commit to the run nearly as much as I think Washington will, especially if if Shaq Barrett and JPP can get some pressure on uh, Alex Smith. I, I think that they're going to try to run the ball as much as they can um, and try to shorten the game a little bit. Uh, go on those long drives that will keep the ball out of Tom Brady's hands, keep Brady on the bench. And, and I, I think that that's probably going to be the game plan uh, for Ron Rivera. You don't want to sit there and match points with the Buccaneers. They don't have the firepower to compete. So I think that they're going to really try to establish the run, try to almost take a page out of what the Giants and Saints were able to do. Um, bring in an extra tackle, kind of go double and three tight end sets, try to over the power, overpower the Bucks front seven um, and really commit to it, again, while they can if Tampa Bay gets up, you know, 14 points, they might have to abandon it. But I think the game plan will be to try to feed the running backs, uh, Gibson and, and Merrick, the ball, and and or McKinnick and the ball, and and uh, uh, and I think that's where Minter can play a role, much like yeah. Devin White. He's much better going forward than than he is reverse. He's just not nearly as dynamic, not nearly as fast as White. Yeah, I mean it's interesting. I, I kind of agree with you in that capacity that if you're if you're, if the other team is trying to establish the ball, obviously or establish the run, and the and Washington will run from spread formations, like you said, yes. they'll go empty or they'll go four wide and they'll run the ball from those formations. And so, you know, I, I think that there is a level of trickery to how you deploy your personnel. But I'll say this too: Washington wants to get their backs. Uh, mm-hmm. and their tight ends on linebackers. That's kind of right. a big part of their game. That's really how they beat Pittsburgh. The offense didn't do a ton, but Pittsburgh was down a bunch of linebackers in that game, and they had only linebackers who couldn't cover really for that game, and they really isolated those matchups and toasted the linebackers. They'll get those guys vertical in the passing yeah. game. So that's where your weaknesses can get exposed, and that's why I'm, I'm scared for Kevin Minter in this game because of that. If there's a defensive weakness, yeah. I think Washington's – kind of they're tricky enough to know where to attack you and i think yeah. that todd bulls just saying i'm going to play kevin minter every snap because that's what i did with devin white and levante david to me is right. way too linear thinking so we can unpack that more on wednesday bobby Forsyth, appreciate the the super chat a ton we'll get to another super chat there in a second i do want to get to gene leon's question here about donovan smith um is he the key to the game uh going against chase young chase young has not had unbelievable sack production as a rookie i think just six right. sacks maybe but he has had uh, he has had outstanding pressure production, and he's terrific against the run. He physically is able to step into the trenches from week one as a rookie and manhandle people. Right. And that is just so rare as a rookie playing in the line in the NFL. I mean, it's kind of what we've seen with Tristan Wirfs on the, only on the other side of the ball. Um, and I would argue Young probably physically has just been able to dominate it at an even higher level. And so, you know, what he's been able to do is, I mean, he just looks like, he looks like a veteran and he mostly yeah. plays right defensive end or right outside linebacker, depending they, they multiply their fronts a little bit, but so he will be mostly going up against Donovan Smith. I kind of would love to see rookie, you know, rookie on rookie, in my opinion, the defensive yeah. rookie of the year against the offensive rookie of the year and, and young and, and Tristan works, but we're not going to see that very much uh, based on young's deployment so far this season. And I'm sure, they want him to play against Donovan Smith more than Worfs. And so, oh, yeah. And, um, and I, I think, too, I mean, Montez Sweat is actually the leader in sacks for Washington. I mean, it's, I know that, that, uh, yeah, that a lot of, a lot of hustle sacks there. He, he's a solid player, yeah. but yeah. Yeah. But, but I'm just saying, just in terms of, of the, the production, uh, yeah. And, and, uh, those guys work very well together. Montez Sweat, nine sacks, seven and a half. Uh, for Chase Young, but then you look at the tackle for loss. Both those guys, they live in the backfield. 14 tackles for loss uh, for Sweat, 12 and a half for Young. Ryan Kerrigan's been a great mentor, and guess what? When one of those guys needs a breather, who comes in? Pro Bowl guy like Ryan Kerrigan, five and a half sacks. The old man still can get the job done. Um, One of the most underrated players of a generation, I think, Oh, big time. Yeah, he is Washington's version of Levante David. Uh, mm-hmm. Although I think Kerrigan's made more Pro Bowls, but um, you know you, you got Sweat who had the the pick six against uh, I think it was the, the Cowboys on th- Thanksgiving, two forced fumbles, four forced fumbles, 
three fumble recoveries and a fumble recovery touchdown for Chase Young. Those are two young bookends that are just they're, – they're so good and they're so young. And, and it's yeah. crazy because they have not hit their full potential. But, yes, I, I think that, that when you look at Ron Rivera, the defensive line he built in Carolina and, – and keep in mind, he inherited some of these players. This is Ron's first year uh, in Washington. Of course, he drafted uh, Montez Sweat. But they've got other guys. Tim Settle, the, the Virginia Tech kid, five sacks this year. He can rush the passer from the inside. Uh, they've got a couple first-rounders from Alabama. Jonathan Allen, who was a high pick uh, a couple years ago. Deron Payne. So they've got five first-rounders along that uh, that defensive line when you factor in the tackles and the ends. And, uh, you know, and, and Tim Settle was a fifth-round pick. Yeah. So they're and just loaded. Transformed his body and become and a it, solid player. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and he's, of, you know, he's, uh, uh, good. I was just going to say one of the matchups that I think we are cutting each other off there for a second, but I think one of the matchups in this game that's going to be like fascinating to watch that we'll talk about more in depth on Wednesday is Jonathan Allen, uh, who many people saw dominated Alabama and then kind of, slow started in the NFL and has kind of become a beast this season. Him against Ali Marpet, who has just been – I mean, Scott, we don't talk about offensive line enough on this pod, I know, but yeah. oh, my gosh, Ali Marpet is – I mean, he literally beat up Grady Jarrett in both games this season. Yeah. Like, Jarrett was just a guy, like, off the street. I mean, that Grady Jarrett, like, I know he was hurt in this game, banged up a little bit and playing, but, I mean, it's just amazing what Ali Marpet's done this season – uh, just disgusting that he isn't in the Pro Bowl. Hopefully the All-Pro wakes up and and gives him the nod there. But he's been outstanding. He hasn't allowed a pressure or a sack in the last four games. And he only allowed 10 pressures and no sacks all season. I mean, 10 pressures yeah. in 13 games. Uh, yeah. Dude is just a, a monster. And so him against John Allen, who's been great this season, even though, again, he doesn't have a ton of sacks either, uh, will be great. And Washington blitzes a ton too. So uh, there's a lot yeah. to, to unpack there. Keeping going with the Devin yeah. White thing, I see this question, how valuable is Devin White actually? How much worse is Kevin Minner? They both are horrible in coverage. Somebody else asked, and Callie Box asked, you know, you say White's bad in coverage and Minner's bad in coverage. Like, what's the deal here? Um, there aren't many great linebackers in coverage in the NFL, period. It's a very hard time to play linebacker in the NFL. Yeah. Uh, so I never want to, like, take that away from Devin White. Like, this isn't easy, <laughs> you know. Um, he doesn't have a, seem to have a natural feel for it in zone, but I don't think he's, like, incompetent either. Like, it's not like he physically and athletically, he offers all the traits that you want. It's just about right. mentally and instinctively kind of getting where you need to be to understand what you need to do and how you need to react and what concepts are coming your way and things like that. So that's the big thing with White. With Mincher, I just think he's not that athletic anymore. He's an older player. Right. And so I think there's that level of things that you're like concerned about with the guy that might get isolated on players that go vertical. Um, and, yeah, certain and, and especially too, when you look at, at Logan Thomas, 6'6", 250, right? He, he's, he can box out. And, well, his and touchdown yesterday was awesome. Yeah, and so he's really come on. And so the, the, those are the kind of mismatches that Washington will try to create. And I think that's why the Bucks played a lot of zone coverage was kind of to 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 give Minter a little bit of help, not not get him isolated in man coverage like that. So there is a big drop off. I I think William, where the drop off comes is just in the pass rush. We've seen Devin White can get to the quarterback. He's got that burst up the middle. Uh, Bruce Arians talked about it today. Nine sacks on the season for Devin. That's where you're going to miss him. It's not that Kevin Minter can't blitz. He's just not nearly as dynamic as, mm -hmm. as a blitzer as as, um, as Minter, or I should say as White is. White is the freakiest of athletic freaks, I mean, that there is. Like, that's yeah. literally – I mean, he is – his speed for a linebacker – it's unbelievable. And you always want that. You want that on the field. Like you just do, you know, you're that physical yeah. and that fast. You want it on the field because you can make a play. You can be bad and, and blow a couple of plays certainly during the game, but you can also, you can, you can make a play that changes the game when you have those kind of traits. Um, and he definitely has that. So obviously you want him on the field. He's definitely better option than Minder, but no, I mean, should, should that be a killer for them in this game? No, listen, there are no excuses for the bucks in this game. Washington is seven right. and nine or whatever they are. And yeah. Frankly, I mean, yes, they had they beat the Steelers, and that was an impressive win. But there haven't there aren't a lot, a lot of impressive wins on, on their schedule, even though they found a way to make the playoffs. You know, the teams that they're beating are losing teams across the board outside of that game against the Steelers, and we all know what the Steelers' offense looked like for a month, and and really might still look like, and and they lost to the Bengals. You know, what I mean, so I don't know what to kind of stock to put into Washington. All I know is that statistically, 
they have dominated this season on defense. I mean, what they've done, I, I think I tweeted it out today, but since, what has it been? It's been going back to the Lions game, actually, in week 10. So week 10 was the last time that they allowed a team to score more than 20 points in a game. I mean, in that right. time, they've played Seattle. They've played San Francisco. I know it's banged up, but, I mean, that yep. Kyle Shannon's a great OC. Cowboys have some guys, and they scored 16 points. They, they really destroyed Dallas in that game. And so they've played some teams that aren't bad offenses. Have they played an offense like the way Tampa Bay's looks right now? Right. No, they haven't. And so and, it's going to be strength really, on strength, and it'll be fun to see how it shakes out. The thing about this offense, John, is is they finished the season averaging 30.8 points per game, but since the bye week have averaged 37 points per game. So yeah. they're really taking their, their offensive output to the next level. Um, Alex Smith can't run very well, right? Yes, he's he used to be more of a mobile guy. That, that, that uh, horrific leg injury really cut down his mobility. He just does not have the escapability. I think Alex Smith right now is more of a pocket-passing point guard. He's just kind of just distributes the ball and lets other people do it. So he's not the dynamic playmaker that he was. Uh, and, and not that this guy was a big-time scrambler or anything, but he certainly had a lot more mobility before the, the injury. John, holy smokes. We've got a 1999 Super Chat here from, from Javin. I'm Hopefully it's Javin. It's Javin or Javin. Uh, won $683 on a $20 10-team parlay bet on mybookie.ag. Here's the 20 bucks. Thank you very much for that. Glad you won all that money. And, and uh, you know, you certainly get to keep 663 of it, which is awesome. Good for you. Over and under on the bucks. Uh, Washington football team is 45 and a half. You taking the over or the under. That's really tough because when you look at, at the Buccaneers – in their primetime games this year, right? You go to that 19-point performance at Chicago. You go. I was to, wondering if we were gonna have to wait till Wednesday to talk about Bucks primetime, or if we're. Let's well, see I'm, I'm just saying it's it, it's. No, you, it's a good if point. You, if you look at those primetime games, they scored um, 25 points at New York against the Giants, three points against the Saints at home, 27 points, or I should say, 24 points against the Rams. So, can the Bucks get to 30? against Washington. And I think that's the key for the over-under because I could see Washington putting up 20 on Tampa Bay. It seems to me like like it's it's where you want to be is, is the over. Um, it all depends about the turnovers and, and the pressures and sacks and all that. So mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm inclined to take the over. Um, I don't think I, I've got enough confidence in Tampa Bay's defense and how much Todd Bowles is still infatuated, John, with calling soft zone coverage. I think yeah. that, that they give up a couple touchdowns, and I think they probably give up 20 to Washington. I think the Bucs score 30. I could see a 30 to, to 20 game to hold me to it. We're going to have our official predictions on Wednesday. But to answer the question, I would go with the over in this just because of the firepower Tampa Bay has. Yeah, you know, there's some interesting things about, you know, I, I don't I don't know enough. There's there's people who, you know, I don't want to lead you astray uh, with, a you know, I would think over too in my head. Um, you know, the Bucks offense is playing at a really high level and Atlanta's defense is playing great uh, for the second half of the season and the Bucks just get, ran them over. And so, you know, I really like what the Bucks are doing and the way that they're trending offensively, but this is a big, big test for them. And so, you know how how do they how do they play in this game is going to probably determine if they come out and dominate this game and they hit that over, we're going to feel really good about wherever they're going next. Doesn't matter who they're who they're playing, we're going to feel good about it because Washington just hasn't. They just haven't. I, don't, I know they haven't played maybe the best offense in the league, but they just have not been you know taken taken uh, for that many points in a long time. And so um, I think that uh, it's it's a huge game for the Bucks to make a statement against a even though the record might not be good. People are saying, oh, we want to see him against a great unit well you're going to see him against a great unit and so but i think one thing's interesting scott too washington ron Rivera said after the game and this kind of flew under the radar with everything happening with the eagles and all that garbage uh but what you know rivera kind of said he considered a quarterback change in this game and that was interesting to me because remember Dwayne haskins is gone kyle allen's hurt so taylor heineke is the backup now right and taylor heineke played the other day against carolina and actually looked really good and was he barely played, but he was 12 and 19 for 137 yards and a touchdown coming in and relief of Haskins and he didn't turn the ball over. And so, yeah. you know, Taylor Heineke's been around the league for a while. He's actually been in this offense for years um, at different places wherever Scott Turner's been. And so, you know, 
I don't know what to think of that, you know, other than I'm definitely going to make sure I watch Taylor Heineke this week before we do the Wednesday show. Um, it wouldn't shock me based on the way Ron Rivera's kind of cryptically addressed the quarterback position this season. If Alex Smith comes out and just looks like he's getting harassed and can't move around and, you know, won't take any shots. I mean, Alex Smith has thrown 24 passes all season of 20 yards or more in the air. He's right. completed 10 of them. So we, he, yeah. in other words, what I'm guessing from what I've seen of them and, and what I'm guessing from those numbers and what I'm guessing from watching Alex Smith for years is that he takes them when they're wide open uh, for the yeah. most part. When they're wide open, when they're yeah. schemed open, when there's a blown coverage, he'll take them. And so that's why his, his percentage is good, but he hardly ever does it. And so to me, if I'm the Bucs, I'm forcing him to make a high yeah. degree of difficulty throw down the field. That, yeah, has not been, that has not been what Todd Bowles has done. He has, he has kept everything in front of him. Let's yeah. tackle the catch. Let's play tough in the red zone. Uh, I think it's a terrible process. I think – you run I into mean, a team that gets hot in the red zone, and, and John, you've got, you got Terry McLaurin is really the only guy that can that it concerns you in terms of getting behind you on on defense. Um, you know, and and does Alex Smith have have enough time to throw? I don't think Washington's offensive line is all that great. Um, we need to see more from the Bucks' pass rush again. Uh, like I said earlier, in the last three games, the Bucks only have four sacks from guys not named Devin White, and one of those came in as the lone sack. On Sunday, and that was in Damakasu getting his sixth of the year. Uh, a question about uh, Alex Smith's uh, what's his record as as the starter this year? Um, according to Pro Football Reference, I'm looking it up right here. Uh, the Washington Football Team is six and one with Alex Smith as the starter. So they've won all their games except for one with him as the starter, and um, uh, that the loss was was a bad one at Detroit. They beat uh, Cincinnati 20 to nine. They beat Dallas 41-16. That was on Thanksgiving. They beat Pittsburgh 23-17, and San Francisco 23 to 15, and then uh, obviously Philadelphia last night. So uh, mm-hmm. he is—he's a difference maker for Washington. He's not a big time playmaker, but he's better than the other guys that they have. That's for sure. It's certainly better than Dwayne Haskins. You already keeps them on schedule, right? I mean, he, he, it's time to throw and it's getting the ball out and that offensive line, you know, their grades for pro football focus look pretty good this season. And I think part of it's because he just getting rid of the ball, like right away and they're dumping it off. They check it down right away. They get into second and seven and they check it down again and they get into third and three and, you know, they really will just do exactly what Washington did. Washington drives, what, 11, 13, 14, 15 plays the other day. I mean, or sorry, Atlanta um, yesterday in the game, on Sunday in the game. And it was just kind of like, man, this, I mean, they can't get, the Bucs couldn't get off the field on third down. You know, that game plan, I think, is what a lot what you'll see from Washington. You will see them nickel and dime them to death, and the Bucs have to be able to get off the field on third down and fourth down in those situations. They couldn't last on Sunday. And yeah. you know, not certainly not having Shaq Barrett and not having Carl Davis was a part of that. But still, you know, I think it's something that that is concerning based on the way they've played defense this season. And somebody said, you know, didn't think I'd say this two months ago. That's why Juke says, um, but I'd way rather replace Bulls than Leftwich. You know, it's interesting. Bulls is getting some some attention as a potential candidate yeah. for for Atlanta. Scott, um, yeah. my guess is he's not on the top of anybody's list, and I would be pretty surprised if he got hired as a head coach somewhere else so i you know i would assume he'll be back the big difference to me though between bulls and leftwich and obviously arians and leftwich it's hard to, to know from our vantage point how do we separate those two like what what is what is leftwich doing what are arians doing and where does the overlap happen where do they maybe are they may be opposed but we don't get to see that so a little bit har- harder to quantify leftwich than it is bulls from because bulls has total control there but i would say the biggest difference is leftwich has, has been able to change you know as much as he may yeah. be totally opaque with i mean with us it's like you can't like the guy doesn't tell us anything like he goes out of his way to make life difficult for us in the media i think and so that's frustrating for us sometimes but if you if we can step aside from that step back from those feelings and kind of look at him uh unbiasedly you know i think we can see that he's been willing to change some things with this offense especially out of the bye or at least arians and he have been or maybe arians just told him he has to i don't know how it works um where bulls has not been been open to change for a long time. You know, I talked to people in, in New York who covered him with the Jets, and they said, "Yeah, it was the same thing. We love you know love the, love the person, uh, love some of what he does, but he just thinks eventually what he does is going to work every single game if he yeah. just keeps at it, and and that just isn't the case a lot of time, especially when you play great teams. And so maybe he doesn't get exposed against Washington, but Scott, we talked about this a little bit on the show. 
on this defense right now, do you really feel like anybody is playing great football right now? I I, I couch for Levante and I'll stick with him. I know that you you know you you and Mark. Have I, I didn't said, see the splash plays. Levante is not making the splash plays. The turnovers. The hey, he stripped one the other. He stripped one. He punched he one did. out. They just he didn't did. fall he on did. it. That's not. His but fault. I, I'm saying over the last you know couple of, of weeks um, that, that he's capable of making, and I, I think that that they're going to have to. Levante is going to have to pull some some splash plays out of his back pocket. And Carlton round. and Shaq. I mean, those guys yeah. have to play big. And I don't blame you Carlton. Like, Paul. I mean, I, I'm rooting yeah. for this guy. He's a pro bowler. I think he's right. had a really good year. But but they're going to need an interception. They're going to need a sack, a sack fumble from him. It's when when you're that caliber of a player, you got to show up. And it's it's not like you you know sometimes you. you I, I try not to get caught up in the stat sheet scouting, but listen, if you fill up the stat sheet box, it usually means you had a good game, especially when there are things like takeaways, uh, you know, and, and sacks, impactful plays. Uh, those are good. You want those rather than to say, well, you know, he only had two tackles, but he really made his presence felt. Okay. Well, I'd rather have the guy that finishes the game with three sacks and two forced fumbles than the guy who had two tackles and well, he was flashed all over the screen. No, I want the guy that's going to get the quarterback uh, to cough the ball up or to, to make them punt on third down because he actually got the quarterback on the ground. So right. uh, I want to see some more production from Jason Pierre-Paul. Shaq Barrett better come back with his hair on fire. They're going to need him uh, to yeah. do that. Here's a good question from Gene Leon. Possible Bulls didn't want to show everything week 17 to keep some surprises for the playoffs. Yeah, possibly. I, I think the thing is, is a lot of times – when you put in your game plan, you do that for your your opponent. It's it's not like um, you have this one particular uh, scheme, a blitz, a coverage, whatever that, that that is that you can you know throw out there on anybody. Uh, a lot of times, you tailor your game plan to the personnel and the schemes and formations that you're going to see. Now, sometimes you know you might have a little bag of tricks that you kind of you know you've got some plays in reserve. Some some things that you want to break out. Um, I remember John. I was in my my glory as a Pop Warner defensive coordinator. Um, we had a really good defense, and we ran into a bus saw in New Tampa, and we we ran like a four man front, and then we had a, a, an alternate variant defense. We were saving for the playoffs as a three four package, and mm -hmm. where we did completely different things out of it that we didn't really want to put on film. Sure. Uh, we wanted to wait until the playoffs to kind of spring that on people. We were practicing it like for a whole month behind the scenes and we got down and, and they were attacking our weak side and tried switching personnel and th they just were out scheming us. And so at halftime I had to switch to the three, four, we dusted it off and it worked and it completely shut them down. We, we came back and won the game. So sometimes that happens. Sometimes you do have, that those reserve plays that you can go to. I just don't think that Bowles was sitting on anything. I think that that uh, we saw a lot of blitzes, uh, John. That that yeah. simply didn't get home. The Falcons did a good job picking them up, and yeah. and um, and I think that he tried to mix up some coverages. Uh, but it, I think it looked like two offensive lines that saw the tricks from the defensive side yeah, the first time. Yeah, exactly. And, and, it it and really did. And. And and I, I you have to credit the offensive lines. They really dominated the defensive lines. I think for both teams, uh, maybe not the Bucks against the run. Tampa Bay's run defense was good, but but yeah. uh, you know I, I don't think that that Bowles has got a lot in reserve. I think that he's what you see right. is what you get from him. That's right. And I was actually kind of surprised today. I always talk to my boy PFF Moo. Uh, and I know he can be pessimistic about the Bucks, but he's got a lot of great information, and I love the guy. And he, you know, he kind of told me today he's like the Bucks are actually first in our charting with coverage rotations, you know, with on the back end. So I was like, hmm, that's interesting. You know, against Washington, it's kind of one of those teams where I'm, I'm okay with single high safety. You know, I want I want everybody down really. I'm you know I want that safety cutting everything. And so, um, you know, Washington just again, it's like I, I really I want I want to condense the area near. I want to take what Washington did against Pittsburgh, and I want to do it to Washington. Like that's what I want to do. Like. Um, yeah. you know, because again, those short passing games, they thrive on timing, boom, quarterbacks, back foot hits balls out and frustrating the pass rush, exhausting them because they keep teeing off and they're not getting home. They're not getting home. There's no energy from getting home. Right. They're not able to work moves. They're not able to beat guys. They're not able to establish a rhythm as a pass rush. Um, you know, and so I, I think that the more you can disrupt timing and get in the face of those receivers and make Alex Smith hold the ball a second longer, cause he doesn't see things open to me. I think it's the whole game defensively. I think that's, Everything that everything you want to do right is right there defensively. And if he makes plays down the field enough to beat you with this offense, 
great. Right. More power to him. But I just mm-hmm. has never been what he's done. And I don't think it's what this version of Alex Smith does. Right. Taylor Heineke gets out there. It's, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you yet. I'm going to watch him and we'll see. I, I know okay. he can run around a little bit. He three carries for 22 yards, I think, in that game. So we'll see what John, he offers. Here's a good question. Long lost laser. Uh, how much offensive insight can Peyton Barber provide Rivera regarding the Bucks offense? Audibles, verbiage, snap count formations, anything of value? You know, that, that's that's a good question because obviously Peyton Barber was was a Buccaneer last year and and uh, and played under Bruce Arians in his first season in Tampa. Um, I, I I don't know that that, that I, I think they've changed enough of the offense this year with Brady coming in that. Um, I, I just he can't tell you anything you're not going to see on tape. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Barbara might say, "Oh, this they call this formation this, you know, verbiage. This, you know, they, they might call this Rambo. They might call that Saturn. Whatever, mm-hmm. you know, whatever the calls are. But from from a true schematic standpoint, I don't think that that um, that that you're going to see. Peyton Barber being this this uh, double agent that's going to give Ron Rivera all this this information. And again, Ron Rivera has gone up against Bruce Arians several times, dating back to his days as a Panthers coach and Arians' days to um, uh, out there in Arizona uh, a couple of times, and and Rivera beat him both times. So, right, that's that's not ideal. Uh, a couple more questions here, John, as we're kind of. Getting uh, we get this question so many times, Scott, yeah. on the show. We haven't really talked about it. I'm pretty sure Brady said he doesn't want to coach, and right. I mean, we'll see. But there's no, we have no insight here on. on Brady. Usually, in my experience, the the players who are not the star players, like I remember, for example, this is you're just a young kid, John, when this mm-hmm. happened. But when Tom, when uh, Dan Marino retired from Miami, this was in the the mid to late '90s. I think it was like '97, '98, right. or whatever. He retired, and a lot of Buccaneer fans wanted Dan Marino to become the quarterbacks coach in Tampa Bay mm. because you had Mike Shula, who was the quarterbacks coach and the offensive coordinator, and then Clyde Christensen moved over from the tight ends coach to become the the, the uh, uh, quarterbacks coach. But they really wanted Dan to come in and work with with Trent Dilfer. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is what is Dan Marino going to teach Trent Dilfer? about the quarterback position, right? Because w- what is the the trademark thing about Dan Marino? The release, right? It's mm-hmm. the release. It's yeah. that quick release. Trent that, doesn't have that. <laughs> doesn't have it, right? I mean, there's been a couple guys that have that have been in that caliber, and yeah. you either have it or you don't. So a, a lot of times it's it's not the the Dan Marinos that make the good coaches. It's the Trent Dilfers. It's the guys right. that are just kind of guys that, that, that are the gym rats that – have to win in the film room and with perfect technique to outperform the athletes and the natural talents. Right. And not to say that the Dilfer wasn't a natural talent, but just wasn't on the level of Dan Marino. So a lot right. of times that's why you see the guys like John Gruden, who was the third string quarterback at Dayton, become the head coach because they had to do everything right just to make the third string on their team. And so those are the guys that that can break down the film, go over the technique, teach it, because they had to to master that. Where someone like Marino or like a running back like Bo Jackson, right? I mean, what right. you know? How would Bo Jackson help any running running back? Would we'll just run over the guy, or just run run right through him, or just run around him? You know, use your four three speed. Well, I don't right. have four three speed, coach. <laughs> Shit, sucks to be you. You know, I mean, <laughs> that's so, right. I, I think I think uh, uh, I think Brady would not be – I'm not saying he wouldn't be a good coach, but – Yeah, I mean, because he is a guy that's had to rely on uh, – you know, he doesn't – I yeah. would say he is probably probably the most underrated arm of all time considering that he's right. the greatest quarterback of all time and people think he has an average arm, which is insane. He does not have an average arm. But I think at the same time it's, you know, kind of – you know, he's been – he's always been a technique. He said it the other day. He was like, for me, it's mechanically. You know what I mean? If things go wrong, it's mechanically I go back. So he may end up being – he may be good at it, but, again, I don't think that uh, yeah. it's going to be in the future for him. Steve Do Roberts either of us gentlemen think Bruce Arians – first of all, gentlemen, using that yeah. term very loosely, Stephen, uh, <laughs> think Bruce Arians will be back for Tampa Bay as head coach? Yeah, I think he will be. Yeah. I think I think 11-5 uh, in the first playoff versus 2007, yeah. I, think, I think he'll be back. 
bold prediction, but <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, and he's having a lot of fun. Right? It's, it's always fun when you win, right? Oh, I mean, yeah. he's having a lot of fun with Tom. Tom oh, maybe he's saying really retire. Maybe is that what he's? Well, I it, listen. I, if Bruce wins the Super Bowl, if the Bucks win the Super Bowl this year, that'll certainly be something he'll have to weigh and consider, right? Because I think that's yeah. why he came back. He came back to win the yeah. Super Bowl. But, but he's not he's gonna run it back no matter what. Because he's got yeah. Tom, as long as Tom's coming back, he thinks they can do it again, you know. Of course, and happened, why, he would think why not? Yeah, yeah, and why not? You know, yeah, John, speaking of, speaking of two gentlemen, right? Uh, I mean, obviously Stephen thinks you and I are the gentlemen here, but you know who the real gentlemen are, John? Over at uh, Briar Greaves. Absolutely. I'm talking about Sam and Briar Greaves. That's who I'm talking about. Listen, a lot of homeowner companies, they're canceling. They're not renewing policies. That happened to me. Uh, they're leaving Florida. Some of those companies are just up and leaving, saying too many hurricanes down here, we're bolting. And they're leaving homeowners stranded without any coverage. Or they're increasing their premiums significantly. But you can call two fine gentlemen, Briar Greaves and Sam Greaves, and speak directly to Briar or Sam for a personalized touch on the information about the best rates. So what I ask you to do is visit the website. If you hadn't visited the website, just do it right after this podcast. Or if you're watching us, open up a new browser uh, on your your uh, tablet or your uh, your laptop. Visit briargreavesinsurance.com. It's a great website, very professional looking. Um, and check it out. And, and then I want you to call 813-876-4166 tomorrow. That's 813-876-4166. And get them on the phone and and dig up your insurance policies and send them to Briar Greaves and say, this is what I got. What do you recommend? Because Briar and Sam said, you're actually overcovered here and you want to bring your coverage up in this area. And I, I adjusted my policy and these guys really made it uh, make sense to me. And they'll do the same thing for you. So whether it's homeowners, auto owners, boat owners, life insurance, commercial insurance, flood insurance, there's one place to call, Briar Greaves, and visit them on the web at briargreaves.com. The folks from Briar Greaves Insurance, big Buccaneer fans, and so they'll be happy to take your call. Make sure that you mention that you heard about them on the Pewter Report podcast. They're proud sponsors of the Pewter Report podcast and on pewterreport.com. Briargreavesinsurance.com, 813-876-4166. Give them a call. Callie Bucks coming in with this question. How about Brady's lip saying, what a dumb effing play? I don't know if you saw this, Scott. It was going I around did. Twitter a little bit today, and it was it was okay. So remember the long pass to Chris Godwin with like about five minutes left, yeah. and they get down in the red zone. And remember, first down they run, they get a yard or two. Second down, incomplete pass. Brady has to throw it away yeah. um, on the play. And after that play, Brady's kind of looking at the sideline, getting the play call from the sideline, and he's kind of muttering something about. It looks like he says, uh, "What a dumb effing play," or something along those lines. Right. I I don't think. I think Brady's talking to himself. I, I so I went and just I'm, I don't really care about yeah. these things in the heat of battle. Like everybody says everything, it doesn't mean anything. Absolutely. Um, so people are just you know you know when they make a big deal out of that, it's just drama yeah. stuff. But I was curious, like what about the play may may not have liked? And I looked at the play, and I have no idea conceptually what he could have disliked about the play. I think he was frustrated with himself. I think yeah. he was saying it to himself. Mm-hmm. He didn't. I, in my opinion, is it wasn't a dumb play, but Brady's standards for himself are probably pretty high. Oh, yeah. He stayed. He stayed on the on the field side. Read his his initial read. Mm-hmm. His initial progression was was a three man combination to the field, and he stayed on it long, thinking somebody would come open, but probably wasn't going to come open. And then he Ryan Jensen got beat, and he had to throw the ball away. He didn't c- come back to the backside, and Tyler Johnson's guy fell down. Uh, Tyler Johnson was in the slot to the boundary and his guy fell down in coverage. Obviously you're not going to anticipate that, but you know, Brady, I think was probably frustrated. My guess would be he was frustrated with himself. I don't know for sure. He's not going to probably tell us even if we asked him about it. His harshest critic. Um, But it looked like he was saying it to himself. Like it was, it was not like his his MO is not to point the finger or blame anybody. Right. Right, I mean, right, like, like right. there were times we saw him blow up in Chicago on Ryan Jensen, right, for the stupid personal foul penalty, right? He And that's just good leadership. That's all that is. But uh, Tom Brady's not about to point the finger at, right. at players, uh, especially out in the open. He might do it in the locker room, behind closed doors, in the meeting room, but it's not going to be anywhere out in public. He is going to point the finger, um, you know, at himself before before anybody. Right. Um, 
you know, been a lot of talk, and we'll have more talk about about Donovan Smith and Chase Young. I think that's the marquee matchup uh, in this game. But but uh, Russ Rampager brings up a, a good point here. Donovan Smith has been heating up slowly after the bye week. I believe this matchup is is the whole game for me. Um, you know, Donovan Smith has played really really well uh, coming off the bye week. This will be a big big test for him because I don't think he's gone up against anybody that has been nearly as athletic. Uh, and can hurt you with with power and strength or speed and get off like Chase Young. So it's going to be a big test. But, but uh, you know, Donovan Smith, uh, th- this there's a lot of pressure on him because you know, he's not a fan favorite. He knows that. He reads Twitter. I mean, he's all over social media. Um, but he also loves to prove people wrong. And, and he knows the gravity and the magnitude of this. And you have someone like Chase Young spouting off at the mouth, running off the field. You know, Tom Brady, I'm coming for you, Tom. Donovan's going to take that personally, and and I think he'll rise to the challenge. Doesn't mean he's going to win every battle. Doesn't mean he's not going to uh, give up a sack or, or even two. Chase Young's a hell of a player, but uh, I would anticipate Donovan Smith bringing his his A game to this. Um, this will be his first playoff game, and he's waited a long time for this as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I've kind of tried to be someone who points out the positive Donovan Smith plays while keeping it real about the negative ones. You know, he. Yeah. Donovan Smith has those lapses, you know, in games. He just does. He has his whole career. Now, he has also gotten better every single year of his career. I think this has been, again, his best season. I don't, I think he's a solid starter in the NFL. Like, I, yeah. I, at left tackle, for some teams, they wish they had that. You know, for other teams, it's like, you know, you wish you had something better. And maybe the Bucs get there. And maybe when you look at all the moving parts with the cap and everything after the season, he's not worth it. I am, I am open to that. Right. Uh, being the case, uh, but I do think he plays better than the average fan uh, would guess, and I I don't like when players are called soft. Period, unless yeah. there is ample evidence of that. Right. You know, if you and I may discuss, like I'm, I wonder about this. You know, that's part of our job. We assess those things behind the scenes. But for me to get on and publicly say that about a player on here, I would have to have ample evidence of that being true, and I would have to be able to show you specific examples of that being true. And even then, I think it's a harsh assessment to make about an NFL player at that level. And I don't think that's true about Donovan Smith at all. I think he is extremely physical. I think that's actually where he gets into the most trouble is his technique falls apart a little bit because of that. And so it looks sloppy, but I don't think it's like a lazy thing at all. I think he just, that's a a weakness of his. I don't think it's a, it's a soft thing or anything like that. And again, remember this guy showed up in a boot and played in a game that nobody thought he was going to play. Is is unquestioned at one buck plays. He is, he is definitely an iron man type of player. I think he's changed the narrative a little bit about himself yeah. to see, hopefully, in the eyes of fans. Yeah. Now, is could he get beat a couple times? Absolutely. And he is yeah. not as good as Tristan Wirfs. He's not as good as Ali Marpet. He's actually probably the worst offensive lineman. It's a good, really good offensive line. Alex Kappa, we don't even talk about him enough on this show, but I can't get over how much improved he is as a player this season. In fact, Scott, we were talking about this today, and Pro Football Focus grades are not gospel. We laugh about some of the stuff you know every week because yeah. – it doesn't take into account or into account important context. Yeah. Yeah. Some of it just, you know, again, it, it's there's context that can't be quantified by numbers with grades. And so, but still over a course of a season, if you are a horrible grade, chances are you weren't a great player that season right. <laughs> more than likely. And so for the Bucks offense, you know, every single person that has started and really that has contributed heavily has a grade that is good. Not even, not even a, an average grade. They don't right. even have an average graded player on offense this season. You know, the, the closest, the heaviest contributor to grade below average for them was, was Leonard Fournette. He's about at below average to average. And he was only, you know, he didn't even play 400 snaps this year. And so everybody really that played heavily this season for the Bucks on offense had grades that were good or, or, or elite. elite. Um, and so, I think that that's indicative of how the group has played. It's hard for me to say if we, if, in other words, if the Bucks financially could run it back with this offense next year, I would be fine with that. There is not a player I look at and say they got to improve at that position. I, I just don't yeah. think it's the case. This offense is ready to go for next year as long as they can do it cap wise, in my opinion. I agree. A couple of questions to round out our, our uh, Peter Report podcast tonight. We'll be back on Wednesday night at seven thirty. So be sure to check that out. And we we had a huge surge. And subscribers to our YouTube channel, Peter Report TV. Thank you so much for that. And if you haven't sent, uh, subscribed, it's it's there's no cost. It's free. Just go to Peter Report uh, Peter Report TV on YouTube and go to our page and then hit subscribe. It's free. 
and then click on notifications and every time we go live you'll get a, a notification which is really cool animal asks thank you for the five dollars animal how much do you think it hurts the bucks having to play on saturday instead of sunday uh real quick i'm going to say uh, a, a good deal because you always want that one extra day of rest the redskins sorry we'll have this die hard the washington football team has the same type of, of situation even a little bit worse since they played sunday night rather than the one o'clock uh, but I think from a rest and recovery standpoint for Mike Evans, you want him there, obviously. Uh, that extra day would have probably helped him. But uh, and, and then, of course, Devin White with the COVID-19. He would have been eligible, we believe, to play on Sunday as opposed to Saturday. But the NFL schedule maker said too bad. So, Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things. You, there's not much you know, to unpack about it, in my opinion. Saints definitely got the better end of it. I don't think it's a political thing you know i think that i think the nfl wants the bucks to, to move on honestly but you know yeah. I, you know i think at the end of the day that's just the way that it shook out and you got to win a game I mean, you got to win a game i mean there's no you it doesn't matter it doesn't yeah. matter you're the better now, team let's you know, let's and, end the podcast the same way we started it We're talking about mike evans uh, we had a lot of people jump in here halfway through if you missed any part of the show you can go back and watch the whole pewter report uh yeah. podcast episode on youtube stephen roberts again last question but to either of you scholars, we went from gentlemen to scholars. We're really scoring points with Stephen here. Believe that Mike Evans should play this game, or do you think they should uh, suit him up, but sit him as a tactic and get him back to 100? Uh, percent I kind of, I think we're both on the same page, John. Mm-hmm. You got to fire all, all your bullets. You can't. Uh, tomorrow might not come. You got to suit him up if he if he is able to play. If the trainers say he he's a go, then then you suit him up and then you see how the leg feels and you give him a chance to play. And um, uh, I, I think, uh, you know, you, you got to worry about the first round before you worry about the second round. Because if you don't get past the first round, you're going home. Yeah, I mean, if he's if he's able, play him. You know, if he's like he was in the Bears game, you know, don't you know, don't play him. You know, yeah. you, you you got AB here for that reason. But if he's able, I mean, yeah, play him. I mean, you, you the, the doctors get paid to evaluate all that kind of stuff. Right. We're, you know, we're just gonna say if he's able to play. You know, it's it's not a risk to his health. Right, you know, play him, and and, that, and, and the other thing uh, too, John. Let's talk about this for one quick second, and then we'll we'll, we'll call it a night. Um, the the Bucks list him as day to day. What does that force the Washington coaching staff and players to have to do? They got to they got to study Mike Evans. They got a game plan for him. They they've got to anticipate him playing. And even if they take this day to day all the way up to well, he's a game time decision. That if Mike Evans doesn't play then you've got players that have burned hours scouting him, watching his tendencies, uh, designing coverages, the coaches designing some schemes and coverages to maybe bracket Mike or, or handle him in a certain way. Then all of a sudden he doesn't play. Uh, it, you know, you only have X amount of hours in the week to prepare. This is a short week too. keep that in mind, the game being on Saturday night. Yeah. So um, uh, it, it does no good. Even, even if the Buccaneers believe that Mike Evans is not going to be able to play, does Bruce Arians, no good to sit there and say that, oh, he's out for the game, right? Um, you right. want to keep your opponent guessing. And so right. the, hope, the hope is that that uh, that this isn't coach speak, that they're really, truly cautiously optimistic and that Mike is day-to-day mm-hmm. and, and he can play. But we'll find out more um, tomorrow as the Bucks, uh Bruce Arians will address the media again. Be sure to stay tuned to PeterReport.com. John, you got a Bucks mm-hmm. briefing coming up? Yep, got a Bucks briefing coming up talking about Antonio Brown and how his impact in the offense has kind of evolved, how they're using him, how he got used when Mike Evans went down, the different things that they're doing with him. And, and the one thing I think that he does, and I said this when he was when he was signed, the one thing I think he brings to the offense that they didn't have without him that I, that made it, it on the field, that made it make sense to me um, and, uh, and what he provides them. And, and it's starting to blossom uh, for them too. Too. So some good things coming up for sure over at PeterReport.com. Make sure you're tuned in there. Our readership, our listenership has been unbelievable. Yeah. And so we appreciate y'all and we love y'all uh, for tuning in with us again. Wednesday, 7.30 p.m., Thursday, 7.30 p.m. Should I tell them the guest now, Scott? Yeah, yeah do it because I don't even know. All right, I'll tell them the guest now. All right. So you're the one and only, the cursed man himself that is that has now been lifted, Trevor Sycamore, will be on the oh. podcast with me. On we, Thursday. So, yes, yeah, sure. I could not have playoff week happen with the Bucs. Trevor growing right. up a lifelong Bucs fan and not giving the opportunity to come back on the Peter Report podcast uh, and talk and uh, and and give his thoughts on the game and on the Bucs. And also we'll talk about a couple Trevor tweets 
that have maybe reverse jinx the Bucks into getting hot at the end of this regular season uh, that we'll talk about at length uh, on the show as well. So it's going to be fun on Thursday. But again, tomorrow, or Wednesday, 7.30 p.m., uh, Scott and I, you and I will be on and we will break down Bucks uh, Washington football team in depth you know, statistically in the matchups and everything like that. Um, and so we are going to, we'll talk about that and, uh, and, uh, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. And then Trevor will be on Thursday and then we've got the pod Saturday too. You know, it's going to be a late one because yeah. of the game, but we're, we're yeah. staying up, man. I mean, that pod is going to run oh, yeah, Saturday night you know, <laughs> and you're all going to be up with us. I know because you'll either be extremely pissed or you'll be ready to roll <laughs> right. for a victory, uh, you know, yeah. podcast. And so it's going to be a fun one Saturday night. I'm thinking, and I'm open. So until then, thanks so much for listening for another edition of the Peter report podcast out. Out.